This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Reynolds has turned the page to what's next by making it possible for you to retail anywhere. Discover your next chapter at reyrey.com slash me. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash me. Welcome to Daily Drive. For Tuesday, February 14th, 2023, I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Callan Walker. Today on the show, Ford expects to cut thousands of jobs in Europe. Biden takes his pick for a new NHTSA chief. And former Toyota president Shoichiro Toyota dies at 97. Plus, many EV owners find themselves frustrated by the lack of working public chargers available to them. We'll hear more about it from our own Richard Truitt and Hannah Lutz. Once you find one in a convenient location, you are really counting on it to work. So this was some disappointing data for our EV owners. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Ford plans to cut 3,800 product development and administration jobs in Europe in the next three years. The automaker cites rising costs and the need for a leaner organization as it pivots to electric vehicles. The reductions amount to about 11% of the automaker's European workforce. Germany and the UK will be hardest hit. Ford says about 2,300 jobs will go in Germany, 1,300 in the UK, and 200 over the rest of Europe. The company says it intends to achieve the reductions through buyouts. President Joe Biden plans to nominate Ann Carlson to serve as his administration's new top auto safety official. Ann Carlson is currently the acting head of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. She's been in that job since September. Since then, She has overseen the agency's safety investigations into Tesla, as well as efforts to reduce traffic deaths and boost vehicle fuel economy requirements. Carlson's nomination will have to be approved by the U.S. Senate before she can take the top job. UAW President Ray Curry says restoring cost-of-living adjustments will be among the union's top priorities in this year's contract negotiations. UAW workers for the Detroit 3 automakers lost the automatic cola raises in negotiations before the Great Recession. Curry spoke with reporters Monday at a Ford battery plant announcement in Michigan. He says cost of living increases would be especially timely in an economy like this one. Cost of living allowance is only as great as inflationary impact to the city, the country, and the state that you're living in at that immediate time. If the economy is great, That cost of living could be completely flat for a number of quarters on reporting. If we have inflationary times like we're having right now, it adjusts and makes sure that you've got some type of impact and really some benefit at that point that helps move your base wage in conjunction with what's actually taking place in the economy. So it could be a good piece for us. Both GM and Ford have indicated they intend to ramp up cost-cutting efforts this year, but Curry says UAW bargaining teams intend to remind the automakers they've had highly profitable years despite the pandemic, microchip shortage, and other challenges. And Shoichiro Toyota is dead at age 97. The former Toyota president led the company his father founded. He brought it into U.S. auto manufacturing and unprecedented overseas expansion. He was also the father of current CEO, Akio Toyota. He represented the Toyota clan on the automaker's board for 57 years, making him the automaker's longest-serving director. The automaker said in a news release that the cause of death was heart failure. Funeral services will be held for close family members only. A more public farewell ceremony will be planned for a later date. And those are today's headlines. Jamie. Will Ray Curry be negotiating this cost of living raise for the UAW? Because last I checked, 
they were still voting. You know, he he hopes to be. Uh, you're right. They are still voting. That'll run through the end of the month. Um, you know, it's interesting because uh, being an incumbent has not been an advantage in this UAW election after the the scandals that sent so many people to prison. Uh, but here he is using the the power of his position to make it a positive. You know, because he is the acting president, he's there at the uh, announcements and gets to talk about the issues that matter to his members. Interesting. Uh, coming up, if you've ever driven an EV, you might have noticed that public chargers can be tough to come by. And working chargers are even harder to find these days. We'll talk about that problem next on Daily Drive. Reynolds and Reynolds recently announced a new logo and brand image to better reflect the company it is today and its vision for the future. Hear what Chris Walsh, president of Reynolds and Reynolds, has to say about Reynolds' rebrand and the next chapter. I think, you know, if you look back, it really started, you know, probably two years ago with a new leadership team in place and the decision to kind of look at how we can be a better company and how we can better serve our customers and how we can help them be more successful. But it's really accelerated the last, you know, 12 months. This is a commitment to a new kind of company in my eyes and a new way of kind of cohabitating in the industry helping our customers be more successful. And, uh, you know, the marketing side of this is, I mean, it's certainly important to help to have a marketing organization that, you know, kind of takes your messages and makes them concise and and impactful and and broadcast that to the world. That's certainly a critical part, you know, of what we're doing. But this is not a marketing program. This is, you know, a company-wide initiative, you know, to better serve the industry and to, you know, help us get to the next chapter uh, in automotive. Visit rayray.com slash me to learn more about Reynolds' vision for the future and discover your next chapter. That's reyrey.com slash me. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. The nation's public charging network, with its steep learning curve and fussy technology, is proving to be a challenge for an auto industry working hard to sell consumers on electric vehicles. While some early EV adopters have figured out ways to navigate around broken stations, slow charging, tacked-on fees, unreliable software, and myriad other hassles, these pain points are giving prospective EV buyers some pause. In the latest edition of Automotive News, engineering and tech reporter Richard Truitt and mobility and tech reporter Hannah Lutz each dig into these problems. I caught up with them at our office in Detroit. Richard Truitt, Hannah Lutz, welcome back to Daily Drive. Great to be here. Good to have you both here in person. This is so much fun. So we've had we had a number of stories in this most recent issue of Automotive News on the inadequacies of public charging for electric vehicles. Uh, Richard was kind of led by your front page feature on the steep learning curve that EV owners face if they don't charge exclusively at home. What are, what are they up against? You know, everything with me, Jamie, is technical. And I wanted to find out why are people having trouble with chargers. Is it software? Is it mechanical? Is it grid? Is it behavior? Well, it turns out it's all of that stuff. (laughs) And to efficiently use the public charging infrastructure that's in place now, it's never going to be like a gasoline pump today where you just drive up and fill up. There's going to be a lot more interactions, a lot more luck, a lot more things that you have to do, steps to go through to get it to work. That uh, would be very frustrating if you were in need of getting somewhere but needed fuel uh, in order to get there. I understand this was sort of inspired by your own personal experience? It was. Uh, last fall, I might remember I took an F-150 on a, a rather long drive down to Ohio to, to retrieve a 
part from one of my classic cars, and I wrote about it. And I got we got a lot of letters here at Automotive News from from some of our readers and some some other people out there who told me things I did right, things I did wrong, how to do things better, and what they've learned. And then I sort of that was sort of the inspiration to to take another look at the public charging situation. And really, I kind of wanted to find out, you know, whose responsibility is it to teach people to use these right? Do, do car dealers have a, a voice in that? Is it the automaker? Is it the consumer on their own responsibility to learn? I, just all these things were, I felt like there's a lot of interest in that. You might not have a family full of uncles who are all experts on EV charging. Uh, so Hannah, uh, Richard is hardly alone, right? A lot of uh, EV drivers, EV owners have struggled with public charging. Yes, a ton. So J.D. Power just put out a report saying that at least one in five charging attempts by drivers failed last year. So that is a significant portion of charge attempts that, you know, you really need to work if you're trying to take a road trip or even um, just get to the office on time. Um, but the range between the charging companies was also very widespread. So one of the companies had almost no downtime at their chargers, only 3%. And then at the worst performing company, drivers couldn't charge um, nearly two and five times. So 39% of the time they could not charge their vehicles. Yeah, to think uh, one in five times, I don't want to have to stop more, <laughs> very often to, to charge or to get, you know, if I'm trying to fill up, I expect to be able to do it where I go. I guess with, with filling stations, there's another one right around the corner, but we have both the lack of chargers and the poor upkeep of those that are already in place. Yes, once you find one in a convenient location, you are really counting on it to work. So this was some disappointing data for EV owners. And we also had a story about how truck makers are saying that really the lack of infrastructure is holding them back from adoption or their customers from, from having electric vehicles, electric trucks. Yeah, for trucking especially, because they go such long distances, they really need that infrastructure to, to keep their businesses moving, and um, it's, it's not quite ready yet. What kind of things go wrong when a charger doesn't work? Well, for one, um, some of these chargers are aging at this point, mm -hmm. and they also lack routine maintenance. Sometimes maintenance is left up to the site, the site host. Other times it's left up to the charging company. And then another issue, which I think Richard can talk more about, is the issues with the software and the communication there. That's one of the questions I was uh, asked of the public charging companies and um, why do chargers fail? Well, there has to be, when you plug your car in, what is called a handshake. In other words, the charger has to recognize the car so that it knows how much electricity can flow, right? Because the, the electronics on the car govern the speed of, of the charge. Sometimes if that, that handshake has to happen in a certain time frame, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, if it doesn't, it's a fail. So that, that's another reason. And the uh, EVgo uh, folks were telling me that they have to go out and repair a lot of charger plugs that people run over, they drop, they break, you know, so there's customer abuse. There's a cloud connection between the charger and the vehicle, right? And so if you, if you drive up and you don't have the app on your phone and you put your credit card, then that complicates things further because then the charging company has to connect to the bank to make sure that your charge card will be connected. And if it doesn't happen in that handshake period, it's a fail. So there's a lot of reasons why it doesn't work. Why is public charging important? important for EV adoption? Well, a lot of people don't have home chargers or the ability to charge at work. So 
if you live in an apartment, right, you're going to charge publicly, most likely. So there's got to be a reliable way to charge your vehicle if you can't plug it in at night or at work. I mean, or if you're taking a trip, would you either would either of you ever recommend to somebody who doesn't have a garage that they can put a home charger in? Would you tell them to buy an EV? Say, oh, go ahead and get an EV. It'll you'll figure it out. I would not because I'm I've been in that position. I would like to buy an EV at some point. My house is, is more than 100 years old, so I'm not quite sure that it could support a charger. And I do have a charging station at the end of my block, but it's out of service. So I would not <laughs> buy an EV for myself at this point, so I couldn't recommend it to, to someone else. That's a deeply frustrating question to me because if you've driven in an electric vehicle, they're really great, plenty of torque, super quiet. They're just a better experience than an internal combustion engine vehicle, I think. And yet, you know, putting the, the power into it can be a challenge. And so at this point in time, I would be inclined to say no. But going back to your question on why public charging is important, I mean, that that's it. I mean, you can't recommend that someone buy an EV without a resilient public charging network. If you want to go on a long trip, you can do it at this point, but it's tricky. You might be waiting in line for a while, or you might struggle to find a charging station that is available and that is operational. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, there are a lot more Americans with homes and family fleets of three or more vehicles than there are EVs that got sold in the history of America, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, to get beyond that first maybe beginning of mass adoption, we've got to have a public charging network that people can use to go and feel confident where they're going. And and if they don't live <laughs> in a in a big house, if they live in a small house or an old house or an apartment or anything like that. I was trying to find out, is there some technology on the horizon that could make this better? And, you know, I, I spoke with Majib Ijaz, who is the CEO of Our Next Energy, and he's a former Ford executive and a former Apple executive. And he told me an interesting story. He said, people stopped complaining about iPhones when we made them so that they could work all day long and they took the charging thing off the table. And he's, his company is working on super long range batteries. I think they've got a Tesla that could go over 600 miles. And so their strategy is, okay, let's give you enough power to drive all day long. And then you plug it in at night after you park and plug it in. You don't care how, how quick it charges as long as it's ready in the morning. So that might be one answer, super long range batteries. That could certainly help because range anxiety and the availability of chargers are all connected. I mean, I've, some people have been pushing back lately on the term range anxiety uh, that, well, vehicles have so much better range now. Should it be something else? I don't know. Should it be charger anxiety? I think so. For me personally, it's charger anxiety. When I am driving EVs or considering buying one, it's the charging that gets me. Because if you, many EVs are, you know, the range is more than 200 miles. So that, that would cover most people on their, their daily or, or weekly commutes. It's absolutely charger anxiety. I can tell you last week, I tried to charge up a Mercedes that I was driving and we pulled up to a, I was out with the Automotive News TV crew and we pulled up in front of a public charger in front of a Walmart and there was a gigantic Hummer there parked in two spaces blocking one of the plugs. <laughs> so that's not information you would get online from the app, but the charger wasn't access accessible and that kind of stuff happens all the time. Living the stories they tell. Richard Truitt, technology and engineering reporter, Hannah Lutz, who covers the electrification ecosystem. Is that fair? 
Yes. Okay. Thank you both for joining me again. Thank Thanks, you. Jamie. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Callan Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Michael Martinez, Hans Grimal, and Audrey LaForce for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on technology, manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a look at J.D. Power's vehicle dependability study. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.